Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So I was reading um, a headline this morning about who is paying the highest price in the COVID shutdown. And, uh, you know, obviously this depends on your particular perspective. There are certainly family-owned businesses that are paying a very, very high price in the midst of all of this. Obviously those families who have lost a loved one are paying a very high price. Uh, The families of healthcare workers on the front line, my friend uh, Cindy in Houston, Uh, literally her husband has not been home, has not been home since um, really the COVID crisis began um, because he is a doctor who actually deals with people's lungs. Like that's his area of expertise. And so he has literally not been home. Just consider that for a moment. So um, there are families paying a high price. There are marriages paying a high price. There are businesses paying a high price. There are some churches paying what they consider a a high price, although, you know, the church is going to endure church, big C, and there will always be churches, small C, um, because that's the enduring nature of the church. So I'm not worried about the existence of the church. Yes, there are some local expressions of the church that will um, not survive the COVID shutdown. Um, But let's keep in mind that many of the local congregations referred to in the New Testament like don't exist today, right? So local expressions of the church come and go. The church, capital C, is an enduring reality uh, and, and certainly will endure. So the article that I was reading this morning posted at Cato, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G, um, is in relationship to private schools. And private schools are paying an inordinately high price. Um, and the way that Cato is describing that um, is permanent closures, So private schools are announcing permanent closures, and the number of them that are now announcing permanent closures uh, is it's like that. It's like the spiking. It's just it's it's like going up a really steep mountain, Um, and that's because this would be the time of the summer when people would be needing to make decisions about where they're going to send their kids in the fall if their school's not reopening in the fall, and so uh, the the Cato. The Cato Institute is um, is is. I see. I'm I'm responsible for my ailing parents right now, and so um, I have the phone, and for whatever reason, it's ringing in my room where I am, and I don't know how to turn it off. So I apologize for that. Okay. Um. So schools, private schools. So check with your private schools in your area, particularly those that are Christian or church based, those that are independent, those who serve kids with disabilities or other special needs categories. Because the number of those that are closing because of financial, uh, well, for financial reasons, is really, really extraordinary. If you want to check the article out, it's at Cato, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G. All right, now on to the uh, the business of business. Bill English is, uh, he's actually hanging out on his deck this morning, so we expect to hear some birds in the background. Uh, he's up next. He's from BibleandBusiness.com. He joins me every single week. We talk about a range of issues and concerns. We're going to definitely touch on 
the Supreme Court decision related to employment law this week. But we are also, I think we're going to lead off with some good news for those in the Twin Cities. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Now, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Uh, Bill, I was playing around with the ringer on the phone, and I was trying to turn it off, and I only just, I think, created more havoc. So if it rings in the background, just keep talking, and I'll try to mute myself. <laughs> okay. I'm, I, I'm good with that. And if <laughs> you hear sirens or birds in the background, I'm out on my deck today. For some reason, my internet is not reaching my basement today, and I don't know why. So it's I'm telling you what, it's gremlins. It's gremlins. I know those aren't real things. So don't at me. Uh, those of you who are listening right now. Uh, so but there are spiritual forces at work, obviously trying to keep Bill English and I from declaring the good news of the gospel into all the world. So, Bill, share some good news this morning in the Twin Cities. Hey, you know, up here in the Twin Cities, we have a nonprofit uh, called Urban Ventures. And Urban Ventures uh, usually supports children and families in the near south Minneapolis area. Uh, but they were funded to the tune of over $800,000 by an anonymous donor and some others. And now they are starting to fund businesses that were hurt by the riots but were not burned down. So these are existing businesses that have survived the riots. And Urban Ventures is starting to shell out five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 to these small businesses to help them replenish um, uh, inventories or maybe buy new fixtures that were damaged during the riots or other things like that. And they're helping to revitalize the businesses in the Minneapolis area. And, you know, many applause and my hats are off to them for, for doing this. It's really good news. All right. So this is Urban Ventures. And if you guys want to check out the uh, the article about it, it's in the Star Tribune this morning. Um, we just want to we always just want to celebrate when you know, the the people are responding to do good and to make good things happen. Uh, and so just want to celebrate Urban Ventures this morning and what they are doing in the Twin Cities to, to rebuild, to, um, to help people get back on their feet. So that's just awesome. All right, Bill, let's, um, let's turn our attention to uh, the decision by the Supreme Court of the United States uh, that was issued in what we're calling the Bostick or Bostock case. Um, give us your give us your thoughts on this. It is employment law related, and so I thought a good topic for you and I uh, at BibleandBusiness.com. Yeah, sure. So quick on the context. This is Bostock versus Clayton County. That's in Georgia. Uh, they had three similar cases like this, and that's why the Supreme Court took the case. In two of the cases, in the second and sixth circuits, they held that an employer who fires an employee simply for being gay or transgendered violates Title VII. And I'll get to Title VII in a minute. The 11th Circuit, which is Florida and Georgia and uh, one other state, held that Title VII does not prohibit employers from firing employees simply because they are gay or transgendered. And so the, the, uh, the lawsuit made its way to the Supreme Court. And uh, the majority held that an employer who fires an individual merely for being gay or transgendered violates Title VII. And I'm going to quote here from their opinion. It is unlawful for an employer to fail 
or refuse to hire or discharge any individual or otherwise to discriminate against any individual because of their race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. I'm quoting there from Title VII. And Title VII, Carmen, as you remember, was passed, I want to say, in 1964, 65? Correct. Mm-hmm. Civil Rights Act, 1964. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, really, this whole case is pivoting on the meaning of the word sex. Because in 1964, they said you could not discriminate against any individual based on their sex. And so does that word refer to biological gender? Or does it also refer to gender identity and or sexual orientation? And what the majority found, and this is a quote from their opinion, is that the straightforward application of Title VII's terms interpreted in accord with their ordinary public meaning at the time of their enactment resolves these cases. So what they're going to say is that even in 1964, that the word sex also referred to gender identity and sexual orientation. Uh, Very quickly on the dissent, Justice Alito wrote uh, several scathing comments. Number one, there is Only one word for what the court has done today, and that's legislation. The document that the court releases is in the form of a judicial opinion interpreting a statute, but that is deceptive. Um, I'll just read one more quote here, Carmen. A more brazen abuse of our authority to interpret statutes is hard to recall, Justice Alito writes in his dissent. The court tries to convince readers that it is merely enforcing the terms of the statute, but that is preposterous. Many, this is, this is important, and this is really a, a key point for us to look at. Many will applaud today's decision because they agree on policy grounds with the court's updating of Title VII. But the question in these cases is not whether discrimination because of sexual orientation or, got to go to the next page, gender identity should be outlawed. The question is whether Congress did that in 1964. It indisputably did not. So there you have it. You have uh, the dissenting judges saying that the court basically made law and the majority opinion saying, no, the law as written in 1964 uh, outlawed discriminating against people for uh, sexual orientation and gender identity issues. So I have read, I don't know, 50 or more um, reactions, responses, evaluations uh, of, of the action taken by the Supreme Court. And I feel confident that, you know, that I can say this. This decision raises more questions than it answers. It creates more confusion than it resolves, and it will result in more um, more cases brought. You know, obviously they will all start out locally, but more cases that we're going to see um, rise through the courts, and there will be a difference in terms of uh, how the different parts of the country rule on such things, and so. This is certainly not the last conversation that the Supreme Court is going to have to have, um, not only about Title VII, but its intersection with uh, with RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, uh, with um, with religious organizations and institutions, religious employers, um, related to whether or not they are bound by the same uh, by the same standards. I mean, I, I just this is. Um, 
Well, I'll, I'll read. This might be um, hyperbole, although maybe it's not. This is an LGBTQ activist individual named Masha Gessen, um, who says in The New Yorker, the court's decision is by far the most consequential in the decades-long history of the American LGBTQ movement. Um, and so certainly those who are advocates of uh, of a substitution of subjective gender identity for what we might call embodied sex, the distinction between that which is male and female created uh, you know, by God intentionally in that way, um, they certainly view this as... Uh, a, a tremendously significant shift in the understanding and then the application of the laws of this land. Everywhere the word sex appears uh, in terms of the statutes of the United States of America, this interpretation um, is is now going to be tested. I mean, I think that is uh, that is almost certainly fair to say. All right, Bill, you and I have to take a very brief break. Um, when we come back, do you want to continue talking about this or you want me to we want to talk about something else? Well, let's talk about this a little bit more. Okay. When we come back, we're going to continue this particular conversation with Bill English. You can find him at BibleandBusiness.com. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Um, Bill, in relationship to the decision of the Supreme Court of the United States uh, in the Bostick case, which we we will now learn to say in much the same way as we refer to the Obergefell case um, in 2015, which redefined the definition of marriage across the United States of America and the way we have learned to refer to Roe v. Wade. Um, I think that it is fair to say that this is the Roe v. Wade of religious liberty um, in terms of the threat, I'm going to just use that word, the threat that a decision of the Supreme Court brings to religious institutions, including churches. Am I over, do you think I'm overstating things? No, I don't. And I, and I think that this is a spiritual battle more than a legal battle. Uh, this is why Christians across this nation need to be praying for our country and praying for revival. Um, you know, when a country lives in sin, as we do, God sends, I'm Deuteronomy 27 now, God sends on it uh, rebuke, confusions, and disease. And is there anybody within the sound of my voice who doesn't believe our country is confused? You see these kinds of rulings, and you go, and you read the logic, and, and then you just kind of look at yourself and say, this is confused logic. This is not the way logic normally works. That's because it's a spiritual battle more than it is a legal battle. We need to be praying for our country. Yeah, I think there's no question about that. I also, um, I appreciate what Justice Alito uh, says in in absolutely pointing out that the role of the court is not to legislate. We have a legislature. That's their job. Um, and right. there are there are opportunities uh, in front of Congress right now to do what the court has now by fiat, fiat done. But 45 times the Congress of the United States has declined to do what the court just did by fiat. And so I think that um, I think that that those of us who are concerned about the way the three branches of government are are designed and are supposed to relate to one another, there's cause for concern here just in terms of 
of the of kind of the structural integrity of the branches of government and how they are supposed to relate to one another. And the Supreme Court is not supposed to be the legislative branch. Yeah, the separation of powers is very important. And uh, for 45 years, bills have been introduced into Congress to add sexual orientation and other types of descriptors to this list in Title VII, and they have never passed both houses. Now, presumably, in our system of government, the houses represent the will of the people, and there hasn't been enough of the will of the people to add these descriptors to Title VII. The court steps in and does it anyways. That is a violation of the separation of powers, uh, in my estimation. And I think even though I might agree with it on policy grounds as, from an employer perspective, how we got there is the wrong method. And you know, process matters. When it comes to making laws, process matters, and we should have gone through the legislative branch. All right. Um, let's do uh, something uh, joyful here at the end of our conversation together today. Favorite Bible verse or passage or story or character? Uh, for me? Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to persistence and resilience which is and perseverance, which is what I think uh, God is asking the church to engage in today, I think of Joseph, how he was sold into slavery by his brothers, ripped away from his family, and then resold into slavery in Potiphar's house, and yet never loses his faith in God, and he depends on the Lord, ends up being number two ruler in Egypt. And when his brothers come down, he says, you know, God sent me ahead it was his will that all this happened. We can look at adversity and and we can look at these various movements, Carmen, and we can say, you know, our country is just falling apart. Well, maybe so, but boy, the ministry opportunities are ripe. They are right in front of us. And our opportunity to give to other people and to minister to other people is outstanding. And we ought to be taking advantage of it. We can grow the church in the midst of the pandemic in the midst of these kind of court rulings. You know, I love talking with you. I love the perspective that you bring. I love that you help, um, you know, you help us see what we're doing day to day in our vocations uh, from a biblical worldview. So, you know, thanks as always for joining us. It's, um, it's always, it's just, it's great fun. It's a privilege. Have a nice day on your deck. I, I plan to. <laughs> love it. I totally love it. All right. That's Bill English. You can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. <music> President Trump has signed an executive order on police reform. Both the Senate and the House have their proposals drafted. Uh, will anything become of it? The New York Times is asking the big question this morning, will the policing push actually go anywhere? Um, and so I do think that this is a, a conversation that we um, are are going to continue having in the culture. Next up, I've got Adam Davis. He is a former police officer. He's the co-author of On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions um, for Victorious Warfare, and also a book called Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement. Um, we're going to have what I hope will sound to you like a balanced conversation about the challenges and 
indeed the trauma that law enforcement agents face each and every day, um, and maybe how we as a country can just do better. All right, it's going to be a conversation between two Christians who are concerned about what's going on in the law and in the land. Adam Davis up next. So we are pretty quickly arriving at the fiscal year end here at the Faith Radio Network, and we have uh, some distance to cover financially between where we are now and where we need to be to be fully funded at year end. So our year end is June the 30th. Today is, I don't know, what is it? It's the 17th. Okay, so we have a few days left to get from where we are to where we need to be, and we need you to walk with us and, and help us. So I'm just going to straight up ask, if you have not yet given financially to Faith Radio um, in this fiscal year, uh, would you please consider doing so? Actually, would you do so? Don't consider doing it. Just do it. You can donate now at MyFaithRadio.com. You can do so by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. If you find what we do here compelling, if you weigh in from time to time, if you text in for a book, if you... Um, engage online. If you share the podcast with someone else, we thank you for all of that. We love listener engagement. We also rely on listener support. And so won't you become a part now of the support community here at the Faith Radio Network by donating now at MyFaithRadio.com or texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. Together, we can get this done. We'll be right back. This is Max Lakato. Seems too easy. Doesn't mom need to experience what she gave? A few years wondering if she'll see her daughter again, some pain-filled nights, a bit of justice. Isn't some vengeance in order? Of course it is. God cares about justice more than we do. In Romans 12, Paul says, Never pay back evil for evil. Leave that to God, for he has said he will repay those who deserve it. We fear the evildoer will slip into the night, unknown and unpunished. Not to worry. God will repay, not he might repay. God will execute justice on behalf of truth and fairness. Fix your enemies? That's God's job. Forgive your enemies? (laughs) Now that's where you and I come in. We forgive. This is Max Licato. You'll get through this. Joining me now, Adam Davis. He's a former police officer. Uh, he is an author. You can find him at theadamdavis.com. Do I call you Officer Davis? Do I call you Mr. Davis? Can I just call you Adam? Just please call me Adam. <laughs> well, Adam, Adam, call me Carmen, and welcome, um, welcome thank to the Faith Radio Network. Uh, we appreciate your you being here today. Me, yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it um it feels like a bit of a mess out there and and so I, I appreciate you your willingness to be on. Um you're not just a former Alabama police officer, you're a trained FBI hostage negotiator, you're a criminal investigator. Um you're and you you've spoken um on many occasions in many environments to the challenges that we face and one of the things that um you observe frequently is that there is a relationship between 
the police we have, the policing we receive, and the people we are. Like, right, there's a there's an experience day in and day out that the police have, that law enforcement officers have, with sort of the worst of who we are. And that changes how they see things and how they operate. So I want to talk with you about the intersection of all of those dynamics today. Sure, absolutely. It's uh, definitely a challenge. Uh, and, and I think that the, the greatest thing we can do is is rely on our faith when we are when we're serving because it's a burden that you you know we were not created to carry it's it can be a very heavy burden so when you um take us into that experience take us into um uh an escalating conflict with an individual or with a group of people and how a police officer has to rely on a piece that passes understanding and an internal um, and an internal piece that enables them to demonstrate, live, uh, sow, um, restrain, advance the cause of peace in in the midst of a really hostile uh, situation. They are sent in to uh, to restore law and order. They're there to apprehend evil, um, to serve, literally to serve and protect. You see it on police cars all the time, right? Uh, but being a, a sort of a vehicle of, of peace in the midst of that, we often think of police officers dealing with uh, the, the bad guys, right? But they also deal with victims, and they have to be there to console them, to reassure them, to get them the proper aid that they need. And sometimes that aid is uh, emotional or spiritual, whatever. But who better to send into the places uh, of our nation that are dark and broken and they're just uh, facing horrible, horrible uh, situations than men and women who are armed with the light of God's word, than men and women who are armed with the love of God. They go in uh, not only fully equipped and well-trained as law enforcement officers, but they can go in as ministers of the gospel. And I think that that's one of the greatest missions uh, that we can that we can have today is to help equip our police officers, not only uh, training them and providing them the proper equipment uh, for their professional duty, but also as ministers of the gospel, as ambassadors for the kingdom. You know, it occurs to me that uh, when when we talk about, you know, probably everybody's favorite psalm. Um, we talk about the Lord is my shepherd, and we talk about mm-hmm. um, the guidance, the protection, the way that the Savior serves us, and we talk about thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are um, defensive weapons um, against you know bears and mountain lions and other nasty yeah. things that come after the sheep, right? And, and the shepherd... Um, literally, you know, lays himself down in the opening of the sheepfold. Like he puts himself in between, uh, you know, in in this metaphor, the good guys and the bad guys. Um, If we were to think of, if we were just to begin to even make a mental shift, uh, to begin thinking about the police differently um, and to be looking for those kinds of individuals to serve in our communities, maybe if we Mm -hmm. began challenging uh, Christian young people to consider going into uh, the, the profession of policing, 
that would be one way that the church could engage in this that I don't I don't hear us contributing that right now to sort of the overall no. conversation. Well, and, and, you know, you need to there's got to be a strong message of support coming from uh, from every community across America, uh, but especially churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, churches have to be uh, supporting their law enforcement um it's it, we have to just get to the point to where we quit grouping people together based on their profession or their race or uh their background or whatever and saying that one one person does this so they're all bad or we have to punish everybody in this because one person does this and start taking uh personal individual uh, responsibility and being held accountable on a personal individual level and looking at the fact that we are not one, we are one made up of many, and that when we begin to approach it from that perspective, then we could address some of the issues that we're trying to do with a broad brush, and that's not going to be effective. Um, but the church has to be a voice in this, and 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 I'm sure that in places it has, but by and large, the church in America has been quiet through this. And it's time to speak up and support your law enforcement. Make that support known. Support businesses that support law enforcement. And because if you don't, the silent majority will no longer be the majority. And the things that you cherish and value will be gone. Mm-hmm. So let me direct people to um, Adam's website, theadamdavis.com. Um, Officer Davis is advocating for, you know, he's acknowledging that, you know, we do need a new system. Change change has to come. Um, and civilians need to continue to speak up. Absolutely. But we're going to uh, have to have a conversation in this country about the real trauma that police officers experience day in and day out. So when we come back from a very brief break, I'm going to I'm going to ask um, Adam Davis to describe what officers deal with. Um, and just how overwhelming it can be to serve in law enforcement in the United States of America today. So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm continuing my conversation with Adam Davis. He's a former police officer. Uh, He is also a trained FBI hostage negotiator, a criminal investigator. He is an author. You could grab one of his books, Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement. Maybe you could just get a bunch of copies of it and give them to the guys in blue where you live. Um, one of the things, Adam, that uh, that I looked up because um, of the conversation that we're going to have today is a website that is odmp.org, Officer Down Memorial Page, odmp.org. And right now, um, the officer featured is Julian Keene Jr. He's a wildlife officer um, in the state of Florida. Um, The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, uh, technically his employer, and his end of watch um, uh, is listed as Sunday June the 14th. Let me just tell you that um, Officer Keene was shot and killed in LaBelle, Florida, when he attempted to stop a hit and run suspect while off duty. Um, the, the suspect or suspects have been apprehended. Let me tell you, when I look at a picture of of Officer Keene here, I'm thinking to myself, 
here is a vibrant, big, strong, um, and yes, black man, um, but a joyful spirit. Like you can just look at his picture and say to yourself, that's a guy I'd like to be friends with. Um, when he went to work on Sunday, actually he was off duty at the time. Um, but when he's driving around, right. in his clearly marked truck in this case, cause he's a, a wildlife officer. Um, he drives around even though he's, he's big and he's well-trained and he looks intimidating, frankly. Um, uh, he, he drives around with fear and that fear was legitimate. Like, right. I think at some point we have to get to the place where we acknowledge this is a job that is targeted in our life together today as Americans. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fear is a very real part of being a human being and, uh, you can, it can be something that motivates you or it can be something that debilitates you. But every single police officer makes a conscious decision uh, in the face of fear to go anyway. Uh, that's what separates them from anybody who cowers back and does nothing. Um, and that's what makes them special. It's because they have fear just like me and you, and they do it anyway. And, uh, you know, when <laughs> when I think about the sacrifice that's made by my brothers and sisters in law enforcement, um, frankly, it it really bothers me to see so many people take it for granted, not respect it, not honor it. And uh, he, you know, he didn't go to work that day planning to be killed. He didn't go to work that day thinking that that was going to be his last day, family and friends. Uh, but that's that's sort of the in the back of everybody's mind when they do go to work. Uh, this I, I may not come home today, and that's the, that's the difference in law enforcement is you don't know if you're going to come home that day uh, because of the very real threat that is out there um, against law enforcement today. So certainly. Uh, they deal with a number of challenges that are very unique and dynamic and uh, the church, uh, the American public has to be willing to stand up and support them uh, and fight for them. So give us some, um, give us some practical <clears throat> ideas in terms of supporting, you know, the most local of our law enforcement. So what, yep. you know, I, I see, you know, I see a police officer or a sheriff's deputy you know, is it appropriate or inappropriate um, for me to to pull over and roll down my window and say something? Is that just scary to them? Um, what can I do to be supportive? What can I say? What should I not say? Um, are there things going on that we could be supportive of that are happening behind the scenes that we just don't know about? You, you see what I'm looking for here? Some practical help. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, there's practically, you know, you can pray for them if you're a, if you're a pastor. Uh, you can make it known that you support them. You could uh, plan for future uh, law enforcement support days at your church. Um, you could, if you're in line at a drive through and you see a police car behind you, pay for the meal behind you. Uh, pay for the officer's meal. If you see an officer in a restaurant, pay for the meal. Um, you could, I mean, there's there's a billion ways to do it. Law Enforcement Memorial Day, you can make your voice heard. Uh, that, that's back, you know, that's in May. But anything that has to do with 
with letting letting them know you appreciate them, you support them, you know. And I frankly, if you're a pastor, if you're a minister at a church, you have a microphone or you have a platform, uh, you could let it be known that you and your church publicly support and back law enforcement. Because quite frankly, if you don't back law enforcement, I wouldn't want to go to your church. So mm-hmm. I think it needs to be made known that you support good guys, that you want to fight for them, and uh, that your church is a safe place for them. And part of that, um, I'm wondering um, if offering them, you know, quietly, obviously, you know, this is a behind the scenes part of the conversation, but quietly offering them some of the supportive services that they may need because of the trauma they face day in and day out. I think they are under overwhelming and and extraordinary stresses um, that probably influence them at home. Um, Worry and fear being, you know, being a constant companion uh, in, in, in the work that they do every day. Um, does that sound like something that the church could be providing for law enforcement in our local communities, like those kinds of supportive services? Some churches are equipped for that. Uh, some are not, but there's a great number of resources out there, uh, that churches could plug into. And some of those are on my website and if they're not, they will Mm -hmm. be soon. Uh, there's just a number of resources that, uh, pastors and those who are equipped to to serve law enforcement in the in the time of their need, um, and law enforcement chaplains and trauma counselors mm-hmm. specific for first responders. Uh, it's time that we come together and have the conversations. A lot of pastors just they're not familiar with dealing with things specific to law enforcement. They are trained, you know, as counselors, but they're not trained in specific things to deal with law enforcement. You have some pastors who are former law enforcement, but not all of them. And so uh, it's a very specific, unique challenge and, and one that I hope that the church will step up to uh, to and, and be present in the midst of. Okay, this is a completely different um, question here, and, and um, it's okay with me if you pass on answering it. But um, should my church hire uh, law enforcement officers to, you know, be there at our church um, because, you know, bad things, bad guys do bad things and tend to target vulnerable people? Um, Or Mm -hmm. should people in my church be carrying um, concealed weapons? Well, if you have a Second Amendment right to carry a concealed weapon or carry a weapon, you know, uh, so anybody that's a lawful, law-abiding citizen, uh, they are given that Second Amendment right to carry that weapon. Uh, I think if your church decides that they want to employ uh, off-duty police officer during the service, then that's certainly uh, something that's available in most areas, many areas. Uh, but a lot of churches have teams that are trained, that they're equipped to handle uh, any type of security issues that may come up. And, uh, you know, a lot of them supplement that with a, a uniform officer during, you know, during the service. But they may work traffic or parking lot or they may be inside or, you know, there's different things. So there's different options there. But certainly practice your rights and, you know, according to the law and and work together with law enforcement. You're going to be one of uh, one of our audience's favorite guests. Adam Davis, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Uh, friends, you can find him at theadamdavis.com. We appreciate what you do each and every day and for joining thank us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. Hey, thanks so much um, for sharing this time with me today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Have a great day and God bless.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.